Hi, everybody, and welcome to the June 2020 edition of the Third Fridays podcast. I'm very excited today because uh, we have a very, very uh, experienced and distinguished panel. Uh, but for anybody who uh, has missed the last few episodes, uh, not surprisingly, we've talked about the COVID-19 pandemic. I think we initially talked about how the New York Workers' Compensation Board reacted, uh, how they were going to litigate some issues and hold in abeyance certain other ones. Uh, we've then talked about certain case law that has come up that would help our defenses. And what a nice way to delve into today's podcast uh, with this panel, because uh, it has a lot of the same topics and themes with a little bit more uh, sprinkled in uh, specific to, to uh, our guests' experiences. So uh, first off, uh, my first guest is David Barry. Uh, he is the National Director of Casualty Risk Control for Willis, Willis Towers Watson. He has been assisting clients with evaluating their risks and implementing control strategies for over 25 years. David is based out of Overland Park, Kansas, but has assisted clients all over the world with safety and health matters. He has been very active lately with assisting clients create and implement uh, programs, with assisting clients uh, to create and implement programs related to restarting their business and employee safety post COVID-19. My second guest uh, is also from Willis Towers Watson. Brian Palmer is a Northeast construction claims area practice leader with over 10 plus years of property and casualty claims experience. Brian's responsibilities include developing new claim services for clients and ensuring claims resources are properly utilized and maximized. Brian is a frequent speaker at claims and litigation management conferences and has participated in efforts to reform New York's scaffold law. And my third guest is uh, someone that uh, some of our guests have, have heard in prior episodes. Tashia Razul is a partner at Lois Law Firm. Very proud to call her one of uh, my partners and, and a leader here at the firm. Uh, she specifically heads our construction practice group, and she came out with a new book uh, earlier this year uh, called Defending Construction Claims. Uh, like Brian, she also lectures at claims and litigation management conferences around the country, uh, which makes me the least distinguished guest of the group. Uh, I guess that makes sense for the podcast host. But as everybody knows, my name is Christian Cisan. I'm also a partner. Uh, at Lois Law Firm. And I think the way we want to get this started is uh, kick it off with uh, with Dave here, because uh, you have something new to tell us with, with Willis Towers Watson. Yeah, great. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, um, as Christian mentioned, we've been very active lately in assisting clients with um, their response to COVID-19, especially restarting their business operations. And, you know, we call it restarting because it's not really like they're returning to work because most companies never really left work completely. All they did was just kind of shift to a work from home strategy or maybe they reduced their operations. But just about every company had at least some component of their operations continuing so what they're really doing now is saying, you know, how are we going to cope with uh, operating a business in a post-COVID-19 world? And they're really looking for, you know, assistance because many companies have never had to deal with this before. I mean, the last serious pandemic we had here in the U.S. was uh, 1918. And as you can imagine, the business world is a lot different now than what it was back then. And so um, we really didn't have a lot of experience to draw when it came to restarting and making our business different in a post-COVID-19 world. 
So what employers have done is they've asked us to help them what kind of create strategies to help uh, get them back to work. And in response to that, we've really developed our, our playbook methodology where using this, this written document and our consultants, we can assist a client with getting back to work and creating a solid formal strategy and plan to not only address you know, business operations, but also employee health and safety. And not only for the people in the physical facility, but the people that will continue to work from home for the time being. It's very interesting, Dave, because a lot of businesses have spent so much investment of time and, and money and effort into creating the remote uh, environment. And now that states are starting to open up, uh, it, it's really a good focus to start figuring out how, how do we best reopen, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, a lot of people, I think one of the big pleasant surprises of COVID-19 is how well work from home worked. I think when it first started and people were literally forced out of their offices, um, they were worried about whether our technology or whether our policies, procedures, or even our staff were, were equipped to do this. And what we've come to find out is work from home has actually worked pretty well. So with many organizations, you know, in my opinion, have what I've seen people do is they've said, even though the government says maybe it's OK to get back to work, work from home is working. So we're in no real rush right now. But with that being said, um, and, and people working at home, I think we're going to start to see a shift in workers' compensation claims, especially those related to that new work from home exposure. Previous to COVID-19, a very small amount, one of the numbers I saw was somewhere around 10 to 11 percent of the people worked out of their home exclusively. And some of the numbers, projections I'm seeing are saying, you know, post-COVID-19, especially for the first six months to year, they're thinking 40 to 60 percent of people will continue to work from home. So with that being said, you know, I think we're going to start seeing claims with interesting uh, causes like, you know, tripped over my golden retriever or fell down the stairs as I was trying rushing to answer the phone um, or, you know, tripped over my computer cords as I was getting up to, you know, get another cup of coffee. You know, in the old days, there was probably a lot of questions about compensability. But, you know, in a new post-COVID-19 world where people are working out of their homes much, much more, you know, this could be an issue and uh, really a, a new horizon that we need to look at on a claims front. I, th I think that's a, a good point because uh, the, the new horizon seems like it's newer every day, right? Before it would be, uh, you know, how many cases uh, and how many deaths were associated and how many, could we get the proper testing? Could we get uh, enough capacity in our hospitals? And every update that we get from uh, our governors and, and our, you know, our, our uh, federal officials, it almost seems like this, this playbook has to keep changing and evolving in a way that meets, uh, you know, the needs of uh, any particular client as opposed to just a, a general, uh, general playbook. Yeah, I mean, the playbook is definitely a living document. And, and really, I mean, we're creating the playbook now to respond to COVID-19. But I think the most, you know, impact it will have is, is if we ever have another pandemic. I hope we never do, but chances are something else may pop up in the future. And having a playbook document in place and having, you know, a strategy and a methodology in place to, to address a pandemic, I think is going to be critical in helping to lessen the financial impact and the people impact that a pandemic may have. I mean, our, our really playbook process contains, you know, six, six key areas that we've really kind of focused in on. You know, the first one just being the operating protocols and the supply chain. 
And these are just the things that will have to change in a post-COVID-19 world. When you think of things like social distancing, when you think of the ways that we maybe have to change our sourcing of materials that we receive, especially some of the foreign materials, these are big considerations that uh, the companies have to put in place. The second area that we really think um, would be critical in our playbook process is just creating a pandemic response team. And really what that is, is just getting a multidiscipline group from your organization to all come together and, you know, create a plan to address how as an organization are we going to respond to COVID-19 within our respected areas and as the organization as a whole. There's definitely a lot of considerations that need to be put around the third area of PPE, that initial disinfection, disinfecting and cleaning going forward, and then also kind of the elephant in the room, social distancing. I mean, that's a phrase that nobody had really even heard of three months ago, and it seems like now it's every other sentence we, I, I say, has the word social distancing in it. So especially in a lot of uh, traditional business operations where social distancing was never even remotely considered as part of operations, it's going to be a major shift for these organizations and something that they need to you know, consider and have a plan in place as part of a playbook process. There also is a lot of consider, uh, concerns that people have just about emotional well-being of the employees and making sure that we continue to communicate with them and let them know about the changes that we've made for their health and safety. So as part of that, um, in our playbook process, we really have a lot of communication tools in there with outreach letters, with specialized trainings, with just different ways that we can help to relieve maybe any, any anxiety employees may have about coming back to work but then also to make sure that our supervisors and management team have the tools they need to help implement the process as they uh, restart their business operations. Um, you know, another key element is really that facility signage. Um, I think the reinforcement of basic hygiene is one of the key elements of that, and just making sure that we have lots of signs available about washing your hands and um, how to properly social distance and the, you know, the important of, importance of, you know, of all these different areas that we've outlined. And we need to make sure that we constantly remind people of these. And one of the best ways to do that is signage. And then really the last area of our, of our playbook process that we think everybody should really consider is just the, the physical restarting of the facility. I mean, we've got some facilities or some operations that maybe have been 24 seven, 365. And then all of a sudden, let's say it's a facility that we've shut down for two or three months. And during that time, some equipment that has never been shut down is finally shut down. We have to worry about that restarting. Maybe a lot of preventive maintenance or even fire uh, fire suppression system inspections, things like that could have all been missed or skipped. So in order to uh, provide as little downtime as possible and potential potentially reduce those you know um, insurance losses when it comes to fires or other catastrophic events, we need to make sure that we have a plan in place to address the facility also. Well, uh, Dave, you, you had me at playbook. Uh, I'm a huge sports fan. So, you know, I, I think when we started talking about this, uh, I was immediately uh, involved in wanting to, to, to read this. But, you know, with, with those six uh, different factors or guidelines, what, what would you say is maybe the most difficult or the most challenging one for a business to uh, really tackle? Uh, is there one that really stands out that you would say is, you know, th this is the number one thing that we need to have first? Yeah, it's definitely the communication. That's what a lot of people um, struggle with because it's, uh, it's a little more uh, abstract or touchy-feely, as we'll say. It's not just, you know, making sure that things are physically apart. It's actually reaching out to the employee and going, hey, 
we do have a concern about your health and safety. These are the steps that we've taken. This is how you can communicate with us about any trepidation you may have about coming back to work. This is how we're going to address our, our, our operations. If somebody does, you know, um, come down with the virus, this is what we're going to do to protect you and the rest of your teammates. So again, this is a, an aspect where it's really that emotional well-being and, and definitely a human resources type of, of, of outreach that, you know, a, a physical operations person or maybe even a safety and health person aren't typically used to, but it's a critical component of the entire process. And, and you would mention you mentioned the this pandemic response team. Uh, would you say that uh, maybe it seems like a softball here, but uh, the fact that this pandemic response team would be solely uh, tasked with uh, duties related to uh, COVID-19 or, or prevention of other pandemic, this type of like outreach and, and communication would, would that group be your ideal um, uh, I guess force task force. Yeah, definitely. They're your your organizers, the people that are going to be the key stakeholders from each of the individual departments, and those are the folks that we need to make sure that we have on the team, so they can marshal the resources within their individual departments. So you know, this is really going to be a cross-functional team that we need to make sure we have just about every aspect of the organization recognized. I mean, whether it be you know the custodial group. It has, an, it has just as an important role of this as somebody who's working in the financial group because nobody's role is more important than any others. But working together as a team is when we're going to create this you know, formalized plan and it's going to provide the highest level of success for restarting our business operations. I, I would have to agree with you there because I think, you know, uh, Tashi and I uh, being partners at Lois, uh, we, we felt like we were stepping into a role that we hadn't prepared uh really thought about doing right you know, that, that most people in leadership uh positions at any particular business where we are playing that kind of response team uh captain role uh within within our units uh i know uh Tashia and i like uh you know uh, correct me if i'm wrong but you know we're making these uh communication outreaches to to our teammates just to make sure they're doing okay like they have everything they need uh, whether it's from a, a technological perspective, like having the right equipment, or uh, you know, if they need uh, particular help doing uh, a task that maybe would be so easy in the office, but might not be as uh, easy uh, remotely in, in their own homes, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, Christian, you're right. I feel like it's a new level of uh, management for us that we've had to take on over the, the, the past couple of months, right? Um, it's 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 very different working remotely. I mean, we do have the video chats where we're seeing each other a couple times a week when we're checking in with with each other. But it's 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 so it's so much different. Um, you know, we're we're constantly checking in to ensure that, like you said, everyone has the physical capabilities. You know, all of the technology to work, but also with all of the uh, information that's coming in from the the media, the, the news, the social media. Just to ensure their employees are their emotional well-being are still intact, and you know, just in case if they need some a little bit of time off or relief from work, just to decompress and you know uh, restart. Um, it's it's something we've had to do constantly every day for the past uh, few months or so, and yeah, I, I think it it management and leadership with um, the COVID nineteen pandemic has really taken on a new meaning to say. 
yeah it's 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 odd because the 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 added um stress of it all uh almost would seem like well if you're going to add more things for me to do it's going to be harder but i've actually kind of liked how it's forced us to make sure that we say hi to each other right you know we're not you know walking into an office and then talking about the next trial or or the next uh you know big uh conference call uh meeting that we have with uh someone of of brian palmer's stature right it's just like you know hey hey like you know how <laughs> How are you doing? Is is something that we sometimes lose in a fast-paced work environment, but it's been nice. I don't know um, if anything's been different on your end, Brian. Like, how how has your team uh, changed in a way uh, that you know maybe uh, has affected the output of your business strategies? Thank you, Christian. I I think it's a challenge to the entire claims consulting and claims management industry, right? Uh, Dave kicked this off by saying that the last time uh, our country had to deal with the pandemic of this severity and scope was 100 years ago. Well, 100 years ago, there were no broker claims consultants, there were no TPAs, and many of the workers' compensation uh, departments across the country were either not in existence or in its infancy. So it's been a real challenge. Um, because we're kind of building this as we go. So from a teamwork standpoint, uh, we've been engaging and bi-weekly calls. We've been trying to leverage our technology, whether that be Skype or Microsoft Teams. Um, we've been trying to assist our clients with the grind of, you know, instead of in-person meetings, having uh, Microsoft Teams video conferences. Uh, to have that ongoing human connection, because that's important, right? Um, when you start talking about insurance and claims and especially workers' compensation, you're talking about people at the end of the day. And I think it's important and, and something that uh, Mark Cuban uh, posted on LinkedIn, I think about a month ago or so, uh, that a lot of corporations are going to be judged based on the way that they handle COVID-19, whether that be externally with their customers or internally with their uh, employees and colleagues. So it, it's something that's truly important and something that Willis Harris Watts is taking great pride in um, from an internal standpoint with our uh, colleagues and team members, and then also externally with our clients and customers. Yeah, I, I would say that that really translates you're right to, to the entire workers' compensation industry, right? Uh, sometimes we fight these uphill battles where uh, there are different actors that need to all be on the same page, right? Uh, how how do we do this particular uh, litigation uh, aspect of of a trial or a hearing, right? We all need to be on the same page as to to how that process moves forward, and it's not as easy in today's world to get everybody's schedules aligned and uh, make sure that uh, everybody knows what, you know, how the other half lives. But you're right. I think, you know, we've definitely experienced on our end a lot of um, good results just by showing our faces to each other, right? I think we we all like have a, a good laugh at, you know, some of the uh, the backgrounds we choose on on video calls, or or the way we're positioning the camera against a particular room, or you know maybe even a, a, a nice pet or 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 a child that uh, we haven't met before. It's nice it's nice to kind of like get to know our teammates on a more personal level, while also 
you know, making sure that uh, really, you know, the, the, the train doesn't stop, right? We're still moving, especially in workers' compensation. Uh, it's been, uh, at least in New York, one of those industries that hasn't missed a beat uh, with virtual hearings and uh, the, the way that uh, administrative processing has, has evolved. So uh, to throw it back to you, uh, Dave, you know, we're talking a lot about uh, risk mitigation and, and how businesses can save money on the front end. Uh, can, can you give maybe um, uh, an example that would apply to you know, maybe a lot of businesses or maybe businesses that are most affected by this, uh, something that would um, kind of give a little peek behind the door to see what this playbook is all about? I mean, one of the big areas that we get questions about from our clients right now is on testing and screening. And it's just a, a continually evolving topic where, you know, new tests are developed on a constant basis and they're getting more accurate. They're getting more available. But, but right now, unfortunately, testing for many organizations is just not possible. Um, so what really a lot of them have done is, is kind of implemented a, a, a screening strategy. And with that being said, it's important that we, you know, have the right equipment in place, the right people, that we you know, plan ahead. Because, you know, you can imagine if you had, let's just say, a manufacturing facility with 500 people that report on the first shift and you had to, you know, temperature screen all of them. You have them all report at the same time. Let's say it takes, you know, a minute to temperature screen each person. You know, that's an extra 500 minutes just to get everybody in the front door. So just, you know, thinking about the process and making sure that you um, have a strategy in place. I mean, that's key to uh, saving money, saving time, and then just making everybody's life a whole lot easier and then a whole lot more back to, you know, the quote unquote normal that we had, you know, previous to COVID-19. And, you know, we, we implement the playbook. We, we do everything we're supposed to do, uh, but it doesn't mean that claims are going to stop occurring. So I think when you when you introduced uh, you know, the topic, you, you did mention there were gonna be these different types of claims. I hope nobody falls over their golden retriever or uh, you know, certain uh, cords get tangled and result in an accident, but I, it, it's going to happen. We know that it will. Um, and fortunately, you know, at, at, its, at its bare bones assessment, uh, it's still a workers' compensation claim in a jurisdiction that we have a lot of experience uh, defending employers in. So, you know, is there anything about you know a COVID nineteen claim or maybe a a, a work from home claim, Brian, that would, uh, or maybe even Tashia too, that that would would mm -hmm. change our process because I'm our process has been you know let's at least treat it as a as a claim. Uh, as we would in under normal circumstances, but let's just use these opportunities to find different facts. Like, have you experienced anything different uh, as far as claims arising in the last three months? Yeah, so so Christian, I'm gonna do something which some people take issue with. I'm gonna answer a question with a question. <laughs> so, so let me say this. Um, I actually think while we haven't encountered any or many claims of this nature yet, I think going forward, whether you're in New York or New Jersey or Missouri, um, when you're sitting at a desk, maybe your kitchen desk or on your sofa, that's a much different ergonomic setup than what you would experience when you're in the office, right? Um, where you may have 
um, a specified seat that could be raised or lowered, a desk that could be even raised or lowered, and additional monitors and screens. So, Dave, I'm going to actually kick it off to you to, to answer this question. You know, in terms of ergonomic challenges, what do you see there? And then uh, does the Willis Towers Watson playbook um, address some of the ergonomic challenges businesses may face as more Americans work from home? Yeah, I mean, you're right, Brian. Uh, people were forced out of their nice, cushy offices that had great ergonomic furniture into their homes where they're fighting for space with a spouse or maybe children that uh, have uh, returned, uh, you know, to to make the home their school also. So less than ideal conditions. And just because your couch may look comfy doesn't necessarily mean it's the best place for you to camp out and, and do work. So, you know, with that, I think we're going to see a cumulative effect and we're going to start to see claims pretty soon from just poor ergonomics from people working at home. So as part of that process and consideration, we have developed some ergonomic aids, uh, including some work from home videos and then actually some self-evaluation that can be done that offer assistance. And then we also have the ability to use some of our um, our ergonomic specialists to do one-on-one -on -one video coaching with folks. So, I mean, regardless of what you have, it's important that we make the best of it. And typically what we're seeing is that even with basic equipment, as long as it's set up properly, we can often help to relieve a lot of the aches and pains that come from um, less than ideal ergonomics or less than ideal conditions of working from home. And hopefully these changes that we're making through our ergonomics offerings can help to reduce uh, the number of claims we may have related to this in the future. That's a, that's a great point. I mean, I, like, you know, Tashia and I do this on a daily basis, but, and I know that our followers uh, definitely are aware of, of my slogan, which is uh, defend from day one, but how great would it be, Tashia, to know that employers could implement different safety measures or provide the actual aids and equipment for the employee to use? Because then it's not so much of an investigation as to, well, did you use your grandfather's chair from 1970 uh, in the kitchen, or did you use the nice, comfortable chair that we provided you, where we know all the specs, we know the manufacturing details, and we know the right way that we've trained you how to use it? How beneficial would that be from a defense attorney's perspective to know that the investigation is kind of a little bit easier? You know, Christian, I think, I think that would be very beneficial. As you said, the investigation in the workers' compensation claim and in our defense is key, right? Your slogan is defend from day one, which means start the investigation from the moment you're aware that there is a loss or a claimed loss, right? And, you know, it's, it's interesting that we're talking about ergonomics and um, actual office equipment because we've started feeling these questions from clients. Clients are asking, we haven't seen any claims yet, but clients have been asking because their employees are starting to complain that they're not very comfortable in their work environment. If they need medical attention, what would happen? Um, how is the employer going to facilitate more comfort with them, you know, actually carrying out their daily job duties? So we've started answering these questions for clients, um, you know, at least a couple of times a week. And I think it's because everyone's anticipating these claims, you know, the, the back injuries, maybe carpal tunnel because they don't have the fancy like padding on, on their desk for, for the keyboard and so forth. So, you know, I, I think, I think it's, it's an absolutely fabulous idea if the employers can implement, you know, uh, um, 
uh, a protocol and also uh, provide supplies for the employees to work from home to ensure that they're working in a uh, safe and healthy environment, uh, you know, notwithstanding the golden retriever that's like running around so forth, but uh, kind of replicating the office that they were sitting in when they were going into the office every day. So I think that would definitely help with the investigation. It'll help in terms of we, we or the employer knows what they're producing to the employees. Uh, so when there's a claim that something's gone wrong or they're not feeling well or they're sustained an injury, at least we have a sense of um, a picture of, of what could potentially happen. Because as you know, one of the issues we're going to face with defending these claims is unwitnessed accidents, right? Um, no one's going to be there. A coworker is not going to be there with, with the worker to tell us what exactly happened. So the more information we have about their physical work environment, it would definitely help us to investigate and defend these claims. And Tashia, yeah. one of the issues that we saw initially with people working out of the house was that many employers just gave them a stipend and said, here's 200, 500, whatever the number is, and just go to your local office supply store and buy whatever you need for ergonomics. And well, David, when you don't give me there, I don't want uh, I don't want to I don't want our employees to hear this now. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, though, when you don't give them any guidance, they a lot of them went out and just bought a lot of things that that really didn't benefit them ergonomically. So really, all the company did was waste money. So you definitely have to put some different um, uh, constraints on what they should buy and and, you know, how they should buy it and then also how they should use it. Um, you can't just kind of give somebody something and expect them to know how to set it up properly. There's a whole education process, and you definitely need a, a safety professional to help you through this process. Makes yeah, sense. And one of the things that I always focus on in defending my claims is documenting everything, right? So, uh, you know, you'll, you'll document what you're, you're telling them to buy or what you're providing them with and how to use it and what to do if something malfunctions, right? So that's something I would stress heavily on, documenting every single thing, more more so now than ever being done before. It's almost like a, yeah, little, and I think a mini Medicare set-aside that, that these employees are getting. We need to make sure that they're using the right equipment uh, compared to the, the, the claimant who receives an, an allocation for future medical expenses. <laughs> uh, we hope that they don't uh, use it to, to buy a car or a boat, that they're really using it to fund their, their, their medical care that they uh, allegedly need. But, you know, I think you're right, uh, David, to, to really specify what uh, employees can use, uh, not only from a defense perspective, but from a safety issue, right? Like, uh, we, uh, we want to make sure that if we thoroughly believe that our teammates are going to best work better or best best help us right and, and work better in an environment remotely where you know they're not in a, a group environment that we're giving them all the tools and it's not just like the emotional check-ins that uh you know we're talking about with video calls and just like making sure that like we get to know each other better on a, on a more human level but also the the actual equipment that they get right not just a blanket stipend to say here go go take it uh and and go to go to a nice dinner it's actually for your home office so that you can mimic your your at work lifestyle yeah and i think it's really interesting because 
obviously, everyone knows about the perils of COVID-19 and the challenges, but just throughout the history of America, right, um, whenever we've been going through tough times, uh, we've come out of it better, right? Whether that's through technology or culture, just working together um, as a country. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing here, right? And I think it's uh, a real credit to, to David and to his team and Willis Paris Watson that we're going down this road of innovation, right? Creating this back on track um, product for our clients and, and for the country. But I think that we can't also ignore just the changes inherently about claims management, right? Um, you know, again, the challenges of COVID-19. So what do you do when you have a state that's been shut down and elective surgeries can't take place, right? As you know, Tishia, right, the workers' comp boards of various um, jurisdictions, those claims are going to keep going, right? The claims and the benefits are going to keep being dispensed by the carriers and TPAs. Yes. Um, one of the big challenges that we've seen and it's been a concern to our clients, to Will Paris Watson, and to us as an organization, is just the reality of the changes in some workers' compensation statutes, right? So again, with these challenges, there are states like California, Illinois, um, I believe New Jersey and even New York legislatures have introduced bills modifying workers' compensation compensability, right? And the presumption with some states uh, with these modifications that if you make a claim that uh, you have contracted COVID-19 through your workplace, uh, there's a fast track for that to be compensable. I mean, at the end of the day, the workers' comp system was made uh, to help introduce protections for, for workers, um, and, and and obviously that's something that um, is, is going to be a challenge. So, so Tashia, is there some best practices in terms of helping to mitigate COVID nineteen workers' comp claims that you can maybe talk to us about? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, so you know we've 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 been seeing a lot of claims so far. We've seen what I consider frivolous claims, like clearly frivolous claims. Um, we've had a couple where the date of loss is after uh, a project has closed, a construction project, which, you know, clearly, hello, you weren't working. So if you contracted COVID-19, um, it wasn't from working on our project. Uh, we've seen claims that are filed where they think they got COVID-19, but never had a positive test or, um, they contracted COVID-19, but they couldn't connect it to work, but just wanted to let the employer know. We've also had a couple of cases, current open cases. Um, for example, one of them was the claimant who's in a rehab facility and contracted uh, COVID-19. Now, does that become compensable? We've had another claim where the claimant died of COVID-19. It's a regular orthopedic uh, workers' compensation claim. Um, we don't believe it was it was contracted by you know through seeking any medical attention related to his underlying claim so we're just waiting to see if it's going to be a death claim so we've seen a good variety of claims come in so far and i absolutely think we're going to see those claims that we've been talking about uh during this this podcast where you know it, it's not going to be related to an actual <clears throat> excuse me COVID 19 infection but it's going to be 
something else, you know, uh, a trip and fall or, you know, sitting in, in, in the chair that just doesn't work and developing uh, back and neck pain. Uh, it, you know, I wouldn't call them consequential injuries, but they would be related to the fact that because of COVID-19, we're working remotely, right? So, you know, our firm has come up with um, a, a set of guidelines, uh, best practices for defending these claims. I mean, we've always had a very um, detailed process. Uh, claims come in. I'll go back to what Christian's slogan is, defend from day one, get all of the investigation. One of the things that we tell our clients to do, knowing that these claims are going to come in, is to just be aware. Be aware of your employees and what they're doing on a daily basis and who's saying what and who's reporting what. Because this helps to build up the defense, right? Because we might have a situation where one employee is telling another, you know, oh, I think I'm going to file a workers' compensation claim only because, you know, this back pain I've had for like six years now, it's it's starting to become an issue with me just like sitting at home all day, not being able to like get up and walk like I would normally do in the office. So even though we're going to face a lot of these um, unwitnessed accident claims, I think, you know, the employer being... Uh, cognizance of what's 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 being mentioned. Still talking to employees. Anything that they hear that they believe that can lead to a potential claim, document it. Um, our our <clears throat> excuse me. Our response to these COVID nineteen claims and any claims related to COVID nineteen remote working would be to deny them. Um, in New York, uh, workers' compensation. Under the workers' compensation law, it has not uh, been made to be a presumptive um, claim. The worker, uh, the the COVID nineteen claims, it's it's not presumed to be work related or compensable. So we handle them uh, just like any other uh, denied claim. It comes in. We encourage the uh, TPA and the carrier to file denial documents. We file denial documents, and the investigation begins. We would like to speak with any and all parties who are involved. Um, for the, the, the kind of practice that I do, the construction claims, you know, the, the, the foreman, the super, anyone who was on the job site. And for these kinds of claims, we're talking about the ones who that happened, you know, uh, prior, prior to um, this new remote work environment that we anticipate going into, because as we know, construction can only be done like physically for the most part, right? Um, but whoever the manager or supervisor is, we're saying, hey, talk to everyone that you could potentially talk to to see if there's any murmurs or whisperings about, you know, anyone trying to file a frivolous claim or anything like that. Bring it to our attention. Um, we'll file the denial documents and we'll just take it before the board. I think there is um, a burden of proof that the claimant has to meet, whether it's an actual infection or... Um, a claim that's a, a result of just working from home. Under workers' compensation law section 21, there's a presumption that an accident occurred and that it was work-related. But we do have the issue of causal relation, right? Did the job actually re really cause the, uh, the, 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 the employer to be infected or injured? So it, it might be an uphill battle to uh, fight that Section 21 presumption, but I think if we have all the information we need, 
um, we, we can successfully defend the claim. Our firm has come up with a list of questions that we've been providing to our clients, um, whether it's the actual employer, the TP or the carrier, or any brokerage firms, for employers to be asking the employees from the moment the claim is filed. Um, it's about 30 questions or so. It goes into the who, what, where, when. Uh, we should get as detailed answers as we possibly can. And we use those uh, we use the, the answers to cross-examine the claimants when it comes time for trial. Now, Christian, uh, I am not aware of any that has been before the board yet, any of these denied claims, have you? Uh, no, Tashia, and I think that's like, it kind of talks to the, the, the actual difficulty that uh, a claim can be compensable in New York. You know, Brian, you mentioned some states that have passed some legislation and, uh, you know, not for not trying, uh, you know, the, there are some uh, certain groups uh, that have uh, tried to push similar legislation in New York. Uh, fortunately, uh, cooler heads have prevailed and, uh, you know, instead of responding to a pandemic by kind of pushing liability to uh, a party that's not truly responsible, we, we are kind of dealing with our our, our current playbook, as Tishia mentioned, for a denied claim. I think that the the actual uh, response of the uh, of our, our society kind of mimics how difficult it can be in in uh, New York workers' compensation, right? Because if anybody contracts COVID nineteen, how able are they to pinpoint it to one specific source, right? We can't. We couldn't go outside for a very long time. We are told not to uh, touch door handles or wear masks or not even visit our 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 relatives and friends, especially if they have comorbidities or or they're a little bit older. And with all those restrictions in place that you know uh, for a lot of us still are in place, it's hard to be able to pinpoint it to just one specific thing. And if when we're going to talk about uh, placing liability on a workers' compensation carrier, we already know that illnesses and infections that are caused by exposure to the general public, right? Think of your inhalation claims, your respiratory claims. If it's not definitively part of the work environment, then they are denied, right? The board has upheld those types of denials. And I think the response of the board in relation to how the legislation failed has actually mimicked the way our society has responded to the pandemic as a whole. It's, a, it's very easy to kind of look at how uh, we're doing on the outside and then look within our four walls to see, well, you know what, for once, this actually makes sense, right? Uh, why should an insurance carrier or a TPA be responsible for an allegation of COVID-19 when that employee rode the subway every day to do activities of daily living? Right? How do we know that COVID-19 wasn't contracted there? Uh, you know, mentioned unwitness accidents to Shia. C certainly, that's going to be very, very difficult. But um, maybe to kick it back to you, Dave, uh, a lot of the playbook, you know, with a response team and with ergonomic aids, you know, maybe there are some tools in our chest uh, to actually help defend these. Yeah, I think it's going to go back to our basic, you know, nuts and bolts accident investigations and safety programs 
And then again, I think one of the key elements is just the communication. I think making sure that we continually to communicate to the employees that, you know, we have a care for their health and safety. These are the things that we've done. These are the tools that we've developed. And then also just making sure that they know there's an open line of communication at all times. So if they do have questions, concerns, ideas about health and safety or things that they need to continue to work health and, uh, in a safe and health manner post-COVID-19 that, you know, we're able to listen to them and we will uh, respond to their, to their questions. Yeah, and I think it's an important point that, you know, if you and our clients and just the general industry can, you know, have an opportunity to review the back on track and the playbook, right? The whole goal is the before and after, right? So if before an incident, there's good safety protocols and risk mitigation procedures, you'll hopefully avoid COVID-19 on the front end, right? And that's one of the reasons as, uh, as an organization and specifically as a claims consulting group, we're really telling our clients, you know what, if you're engaging in these good practices, you probably won't have too many COVID-19 claims. We know that the, that the severity is there and the concern is there for any employee who may contract it, but don't lose sight of your current book of business, right? And maybe try to use this unfortunate downturn, but the reality that, you know, unfortunately, less people are at work. Um, it seems to be a trend across the workers' comp industry that claims frequencies are going down, but you still have all those claims from before COVID-19 and your normal slip and falls and your lifting injuries, don't lose sight of that. And maybe use this time to have a renewed focus on trying to close those uh, claims. Um, you may have some, some issues where I know from a consulting practice, unfortunately, but it's the reality of the situation where we're trying to use this time to try to settle more claims, right? There may be some folks who are unfortunately economically hurting and they can use the extra cash flow that may come from uh, a workers' compensation or a general liability settlement. Um, part of our back on track um, service is a claims closure project, right? So we as a broker can help any organization go in and review their open book of claims, especially for workers' compensation, and review what can be closed right now. Maybe there are some settlement um, opportunities uh, that are based on the changing dynamics and the changing fact patterns due to COVID-19. So it's just something that um, I think the general industry uh, should be aware of. And I'm sure and know that this is something that's a topic that's discussed on the carrier and TPA front as well. Yep. You know, Brian, I, I actually don't think that I could have uh, scripted kind of like a, a, a an overall conclusion as as good as that, right? We, we, we're living in a world where we're changing constantly, but you're right. Let's also not forget about what we're all already doing in current claims because anything that we learn, uh, any, any way that we can get better in defending new claims that uh, we may not have seen before can still help the claims that we current have, that we currently have in our book, in our, in our docket. Um, but I think that, it, it, you know, like I said, that, that that's, that's a, a beautiful way to, to tie all this up, right? There's like this before scenario where we try to mitigate risk and provide our businesses with as much uh, tools as possible. And it's not letting us or not resulting in us kind of 
taking our hands off the wheel, right? We're still ready to defend claims. We know how uh, that usual process works. It can only really enhance our style and, and our process to make sure that claims closures, as you said, really uh, goes to the forefront, right? We don't want to keep these claims open uh, no matter what the claim is. So uh, I think that, that that was just a great way uh, to tie, tie it all together. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that uh, you know, our, our distinguished panel here today um, it, it really, really helps this process, right? So uh, a reminder that David Barry here is the National Director of Casualty Risk Control for Willis Towers Watson. Uh, Brian Palmer, uh, our other guest, Northeast Construction Claims Area Practice Leader. Uh, Tashi and I are partners at Lois Law Firm. Uh, thank you guys for, for uh, appearing today and sharing your knowledge about the ongoing uh, pandemic and the crisis. Uh, as always, uh, our partnership is, is in lockstep with yours. And um, to all the listeners out there, uh, this is Christian Sison reminding you to defend from day one. A little hat tip to Tashia for, for mentioning the slogan more than once. <laughs>